Uh, Why don't you pray with me as we look at God's word together? Father God, we do thank you that you are a God who speaks. And as we listen to your word today, will you open our eyes and our hearts that we may understand what you have to, to teach to us this morning. And Lord, we pray that we will learn more about what it means to love and to worship Jesus. Amen. Well, just as, as has been mentioned this morning already, uh, it was only about a week and a half ago that the federal election was announced. It's going to happen sometime later this year in September. It means we've got a nice long period of hearing constantly about the election in the news. Now, traditionally in Australia, of course, it, the election tends to be fought out between two main parties, the Australian Labor Party and the Liberal Party. However, elections in Australia are usually actually presented by the media as this battle between two leaders. It's the battle for who's going to be our next Prime Minister. Okay, so in one corner we have Julia Gillard, the leader of the Australian Labor Party and the current Prime Minister of Australia. And in the other corner we have Tony Abbott, the opposition leader. He is the challenger in this battle for the leadership of the country, isn't he? Because Julia Gillard's one in control at the moment. And all through the news this year, we're going to be hearing stories about who's promising to do what and who's going to be the better leader for our country. In Australian politics, I think it's actually a little bit harder to win the election when you're in power, when you're, when you're in Julia Gillard's shoes, because... We know what she's capable of, don't we? I mean, she's been in power for the last three years. We've seen what her government has done. And more importantly, we've seen how her government has failed in many ways. And the truth is, we don't actually know necessarily what Tony Abbott is going to be like as a leader. We can kind of guess, depending, you know, what we can tell of him. But he may actually be a much better leader than we think, or he may be a much worse leader than we think. And so this year, the next six months, you know, I don't know whether you love politics or not, but it's going to be in the news all the way through to September. I think it's going to be intriguing, but it's not as intriguing or as significant as the leadership battle that we have in front of us today. This morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, and it's a battle between two kings. And... I don't know, if, as we were reading the Bible story, uh, you know, you kind of know the story, don't you? Because it's a big part of the Christmas story. But as we dig a bit deeper into it tonight, uh, this morning, sorry, I think we're going to realise there's actually a much more sinister story. So now would be a good time to have your Bibles open to page 681 in the small print or 1,497 in the large print. So we see that in this chapter, Matthew sets up this story as this battle, the battle between two kings, between the ruling King Herod and this mere child who's been attracting a lot of attention in Israel. Read from verse 1 with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Can you see how Matthew has pitted this King Herod, the current king of Israel, up against the birth of Jesus, this one who is known as the king of the Jews? The battle lines have been drawn, haven't they? And we're going to see this clash between these two kings. It was these, these magi who announced it, though, which is a little bit odd, isn't it? These magi came to announce the king of the Jews. We're not actually told how many there were. There may have been more than three. There may have been, well, there may not have been kings. In fact, from what we understand about the magi, they were probably astrologers, people who looked to the stars to try and interpret the happenings of the world. In the Bible, that's actually looked down upon because it's a sign of being distant from God. It's a sign of not having a relationship with God. It's, it's a sign of, of not having had God speak to you so that you can understand what's happening in the world. And we shouldn't actually be surprised at this for what did it say about the Magi? They're from the east, verse 1. They're not from Israel. Exactly where are these Magi from? Well, they're probably, they're probably from Babylon, Israel's sworn enemies. And yet we see God supernaturally leading them to this baby. Well, how does Herod respond? We saw in verse 3 already, he, he's disturbed. Herod was disturbed. That's not a good sign when a very powerful king is disturbed. Disturbed by this challenger to his, his throne. I mean, shouldn't Herod rejoice that the king, God's king, has been born? Well, we need to understand a few things about King Herod. A few things we need to know. There's a few different Herods in the Bible. Uh, the Herod that we have in Matthew chapter 2, he's one of the biggies. He is Herod the Great. He's the first Herod. Now, what you need to understand about Herod, he was not born as a Jew. You see, Herod, Herod isn't the king who's been born into the royal family of King David. No, no. Herod gained power because of his favor with the Romans. Because of his politics, he was given the rule over Israel. In many ways, he's nothing more than a puppet king. One with a very tenuous hold on the, on the throne. And when he's threatened, when his power is threatened by this king who, who was truly born in David's line, well, sparks are going to fly. And I can tell you from what we understand about this Herod the Great from sources outside of the Bible... He's quite a touchy king. Herod was known to have killed his own wife and some of his own sons, his very own family, when he thought that they were trying to take his throne. And when he hears that the Christ has been born, he's disturbed. Paranoia sweeps across Herod's mind. This collision course between these two kings is inevitable. So Herod goes and investigates by asking the chief priests and the teachers of the law, what can he find out about this Christ, this king? And what he discovers is not particularly comforting to him. Read with me, verse 4 to 6. 
When he had called together all the, chief, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd, who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, they know their Old Testament. It's a prophecy from Micah chapter 5. Friends, all the way through our passage today, we're going to be seeing all these prophecies. There's four prophecies, and they're very important. In fact, I think they're actually the key to understanding this passage well and understanding this passage beyond what we kind of understand and know of the Christmas story. So I want you to pay particular attention to these prophecies today. It'll be a bit of hard work, but I think it'll be worth it. See, Micah 5 prophesies that a shepherd will come from Bethlehem. It's not going to be a nasty, paranoid, violent ruler that we have in Herod. It's going to be this shepherd who will care and guide God's people. Now, in Micah's context, it's the promise of a shepherd He's going to bring Israel back from exile and secure them back in the land. See, that's the first clue that we need to heed. It has something to do with bringing Israel back from exile. So what is Herod going to do in response to this news of this shepherd being born in Bethlehem? Well, he continues his information gathering and finds out what he can from the Magi. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and take, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. As we read that, we're kind of doubting Herod's intentions already, aren't we? I mean, Does he really want to worship this child? This child who's challenging him for his throne? Well, we're going to see that nothing could be further from the truth. But before we get to Herod's plans, we have this famous scene. There's the famous scene of the Magi coming and bowing before this child Jesus, offering up their gifts. It's a scene of joy and of worship. And of having found this king. And they offer up the only response appropriate. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, friends, again, it's another very important scene in the Christmas story. I do wonder if we actually understand just how significant it is that that these astrologers who should be banned from Israel, here they are, They're from Babylon, the sworn enemies of Israel, bowing down before Israel's king. I think that we're supposed to be kind of thinking, oh, this 
This is a little bit like the Queen of Sheba bringing gifts to King Solomon. A little snapshot of what this king that Jesus is going to be like. Here we see, here we see a, little, a little promise, a little snapshot that maybe Jesus is going to fulfill his family's legacy. He's going to do what King David and King Solomon did. What they did, Jesus is going to do likewise. I'll tell you what this kind of reminds me of. It's, you know, right at the, the beginning of The Lion King, the movie, that there's this famous scene where a King Mufasa is, is holding up the future King Simba, the king who one day is going to rule over all of the animals in the Pride Lands. All of the animals bow down in homage and respect, not of the powerful King Mufasa, but in respect of his son Simba, the little lion king cub who one day will rule over all of the animals he may not be much now but you wait until he grows into this powerful king and so it is with jesus just the child now who will one day rule both israel and the world these magi these pagan astrologers they get it they know that this is a significant leader worthy of their worship but what does King Herod think? Well, we've been kind of waiting to see how Herod is going to respond to this baby king. But it's not pretty. Because King Herod has murder in his heart. But as we'll see, God has Jesus in his hands. Read with me from verse 13. Verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. God's care of this child is very evident, isn't he? I mean, it's not every day that God speaks to people through dreams. God means to protect this child. And as was said there, it fulfills another prophecy. There in verse 15, And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. It's a very striking prophecy, actually, from Isaiah. It's the second key prophecy in our passage. In Hosea, God is speaking about Israel as his son. And not, not as a good son. Israel was not an obedient son. No. God promises in Hosea that his son, Israel, must return to Egypt. In other words, they actually need to return to being slaves again. They need to return to being exiles again before God calls them out. And again, we see the second prophecy it's hinting at something. It's hinting that Jesus is again related to this exile. In some way, Jesus represents this return from exile when God calls his son back out of Egypt. So there we have it. That's the second big clue in our passage today. We've had this second prophecy speak about God's call to his people to return out of exile. Now at this point, King Herod is growing impatient as his attempts at quashing this new king fail. 
The full horror of his paranoia is going to become apparent here in verse 16. When King Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity, all who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This paranoid, bloodthirsty Herod gives the order for infanticide. It's an unthinkable order, isn't it? What kind of ruler does this to his own people? Friends, sadly, Herod is not the first and he's not going to be the last one to order mass murder in his rule. I mean, in our times we think of Hitler and Stalin, Saddam Hussein. But in the Bible's day, I think actually we're meant to be reminded of something else. We're reminded of Pharaoh, who cruelly ordered the death of every Hebrew boy who was born in Egypt while they were in slavery. Matthew is showing us here that this King Herod, well, he's, he's much more like this foreign king keeping Israel under slavery, much more like those rulers who, who held Israel captive in exile. And Matthew goes on to say that all of these things happened in accordance with prophecy. Again, verse 17 and 18. What was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's a prophecy from Jeremiah. Uh, It's a bit of an odd one because why is Rachel weeping? Well, Rachel, in the context of Jeremiah, is weeping. She's been dead for many years, but she's weeping from the grave for her descendants as they are taken into exile into Assyria and Babylon. Here we see Matthew again relating Herod's rule with the slaughter and his slaughter of the infants with the exile of Israel to Babylon. Yet the third clue, prophecy that confirms that Herod, this King Herod, the sign of Israel's exile, the foreign tyrant causing much distress to Israel and her people. But there is hope. There is hope. Because in Jeremiah, God comforts Israel for the return from exile is near. Have a look at the next verse in Jeremiah. It's just up behind us. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. Friends, are you seeing the common thread that's going through all of these prophecies? All of them so far, they've all pointed us to the exile. But they're also pointing us to the hope hope that the exile is ending. And Matthew is picking up all of these illusions and pulling them together for us. Can you see how Matthew's relating them? Here he is. He's setting the scene. What is going on in Israel when this child Jesus appears? Well, Matthew's showing us through these prophecies. He is setting the scene. And it's brilliant because, you see, it's not just what you can see with your eyes of what's going on. I mean, We can all see that Israel is being ruled by this this paranoid tyrant. 
But Matthew is showing us that it's not just what's happening in front of you, it's what's happening behind the scenes that's important. You see, the greatest problem in Israel is not King Herod. It's actually their ongoing exile. It's their separation from God. It's the problem of, not being, the, of being the disobedient son, having rebelled and disobeyed, and God has punished them. He has removed them from their land, placing them under foreign rulers who have treated them harshly. And Matthew's showing us here, Israel remained, as ever, in exile, separated from God and his blessing, under God's wrath, suffering the consequences for sin. And Matthew's showing us that Israel do have some hope, hope in the form of Jesus. Jesus, the shepherd who will lead Israel out of their exile, he is the king that Israel needs. Friends, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking through Matthew and and learning a bit more about his various identities. Like, we heard how Jesus comes as the, the blesser like Abraham, as the king who will rule like King David. We learned last week that, that Jesus' very name means that he will save, that God saves. And this week, we find out here is the king who will bring about the end of the exile and bring Israel back to God. Now, how is Jesus going to do it? Well, we've got one more prophecy to go. One more prophecy that gives us a few more hints. Jesus is still in Egypt and he needs to return from Egypt. He doesn't return as the triumphant king yet. He doesn't come into this, this blaze of glory marching into Jerusalem. Slightly odd, but he returns to this little backlot town in the middle of nowhere, pretty much. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Then Matthew's gone to great lengths, hasn't he, all through this story, to show us how Jesus ends up in Nazareth, to fulfill this, this prophecy that the Messiah will come from Nazareth. Now, you can't actually find this prophecy anywhere in the Bible. Um, most commentators seem to suggest that it probably refers to a whole series of prophecies in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about a despised and scoffed at Messiah. Because you see, Nazareth, being from Nazareth, it's like being from the back of Burke. Um, Burke is this little, tiny little country town in uh, northwestern New South Wales, about 800 kilometres from Sydney. Um, if you look it up on a map, uh, Burke is, it actually is in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around it. Uh, there's nothing particularly notable about Burke in particular. And great leaders just don't come from Burke. Um, Julia Gillard, uh, Kevin Rudd, Tony Abbott, none of them came from Burke. It would be highly unusual and it would be heavily mocked at for anyone famous to come from Burke. 
Not sure if anyone's actually been to Burke, but there's not much there. And so it is with Nazareth. In fact, in the Bible itself, they, they scoff at the idea of someone coming from Nazareth. Um, it's in John chapter 1, some of the disciples, having been confronted with the idea that, that the Messiah comes from Nazareth, make this slur about him. It's going to come up behind us. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. And so it is with great surprise that this great king comes from Nazareth, the one to lead Israel out of exile. You see, he's going to be a despised and mocked king. That's the kind of king that Jesus is going to be. So friends, we will be continuously hearing about the election battle all through this year between Gillard and Abbott. And it's important to know he's going to be leading our country. But the battle we've seen today, it's a much more significant one because it involves God's king. We've seen these contrasts between these two kings. Contrasts between the cruel and paranoid King Herod, the foreign ruler, the tyrant over Israel, the sign of ongoing exile, separation from God. And we see the solution. This child, King Jesus, a shepherd, born in David's royal line, the one prophesied to lead Israel out of exile. Friends, only one king can win, the one with God on his side. In fact, just towards the end of the passage, we heard that Herod died, and that's pretty much the end of, that we hear about Herod. Friends, Israel need their Messiah king. Not to throw off the shackles of King Herod or of the Roman Empire, but to throw off the effects of the exile and of the sin that has incurred God's wrath. He's not going to do it by military conquest with his pure power, but friends, he will, he's going to go to the source of the problem. Friends, Jesus is the one who will go to deal with the sin and the wrath of God that results from sin. And he did just that by enduring the mockery and the shame of the cross, taking on himself the wrath of God so that those in exile and slavery for punishment of sin may be set free. This king will not take life to gain power. My friends, this king would make himself nothing in order to give life to those separated from God. Friends, this leader, this King Jesus, he extends his hand to all sinners, even those who would be enemies of God. If pagan astrologers from Babylon can come before him, then you can too. Friends, will you take him to be your leader and king? He is the only way back to God, out of sin and back into God's blessing. Let's pray.
our Father God. We do thank you that, Lord, you are a just God who does not leave sin punished. But, Lord, you are a God who takes compassion and mercy on people who are separated from you. And Father, you sent your son Jesus, one to be mocked and despised, that he might die on a cross and lead those under your punishment out of exile and back into relationship with you. Father, we thank you for that leader that we can have in Jesus. And will you help us to love and to worship him? Amen.